0: Hello everyone, and welcome to Sea View Quantum Network. I'm your presenter Daniel, and I'm here with producer Claudia Perreco. Our opening song features Sunset Serenade by Cyclone. Albums and singles are available in all music stores and platforms. A moment of your time is one of the most extraordinary gifts we could ever be given. Each week, we create a place for you to rest your heart by providing the platform for peaceable connection to the most gifted lightworkers, intuitive, alternative healers who will surprise you with something different, something outside of what's expected, innovative and unique. Our shows are held on Fridays at 12 p.m. Eastern U.S. time and 9 a.m. Pacific time. At any moment to participate on our shows, please call 805-830-8344 and press 1 to talk with the host. take my call at any moment before or during the show you can opt for take my call and jump the long line of callers we are now following the pay what you can business model you pay what you feel our services are worth to you you can send a payment using paypal.me slash p-u-r-p-c-o and add the amount that you want to request a show please write to Claudia Paretko at cview1111 at gmail.com or visit our website, cview1111.net. Now, close your eyes and get in touch with the present, the only reality. Feel your body, feel your breath, and let it drift back to the present moment.
1: Thank you, Dani, and welcome, everybody, to you. Today, we present the next chapter on the study group podcast, Death and Life in the Other Side, based on the book, Messages from Metatron, A Course in Self-Transformation by Betty Nina Bihan. So, welcome to today's show. In this momentous gathering, we delve into a topic that is both profound and transformative, the nature of death and the wondrous realm that awaits us beyond. It is only natural, Mesa says, in understanding of our human nature, to grieve when someone dear to us departs. Yet, let us remember That our grief is for ourselves, for our own loss. For when we transfer to the other side, we discover a realm of unparalleled beauty and vitality, where our spirits soar higher than ever before. The mind, bound by its finite understanding, perceives death as the end failing to comprehend the eternity that awaits. But, dear friends, you are more than a mere body. And Debbie Nina Bingham, she's going to explore this with us, with research, with understanding, and with much to know in today's episode we invite you to see beyond the veils of illusion and discover the truth of your existence. So now, join us in welcoming the author of the book, our friend Nina, to the show. And remember that you can purchase the book, you can email Nina if you want to get an e Copy a free e-copy of the book or you can go to our website cvu1111.net and go to Debbie Nina's page and you will see the link there where you can enter your um, information so she can send you a free e-book copy so you can continue listening to our shows every month as we cover the following chapters of the book. So, again, let's bring Debbie Nina Bingham. Oh, before, do you know our host of the show is soon to be a publisher, the owner of a publishing company where authors like you might get the help you need to publish, to self-publish or Whatever book advice you need, so let's bring Nina so she can explain us a little bit more about the endeavors and also to cover today's show in detail. Thank you, Nina, for being here with us.
2: Hi, everybody. thanks, Claudia. That was a beautiful introduction uh, yeah, next year in in twenty twenty four not right now, but next year. <clears throat> I will be offering publishing services um, because I'll be, by that time I'll have graduated with my Master's of Humanities in Creative Writing, which is, I'm in that program, uh, finishing that up right now. So I'm very excited to offer publishing, my publishing services to everybody um, next year. If you're an author and you do have a book that you're working on, or you have a book that's um, spiritual in nature maybe, and you would like uh, me to take a look at it? I would be happy to do that. Um, so just go to my website um, or my blog. My blog is ninabingham.blogspot.com, and um, you can email it to me. And um, you know we'll have a conversation about um, what's possible for your book. Okay, so ev- welcome everybody to our broadcast. And today's show is going to be awe-inspiring. We've had lots of beautiful, wonderful shows, but today's show is special, and it's special because we're going to learn what awaits us after death on the other side, and this information is coming directly from the channel book, Messages for Metatron, A Course in Self-Transformation, and if you aren't changed after hearing this information, then there's really no hope for you. (laughs) <laughs> because today is we're going to be investigating death and life on the other side, um, very inspiring. So before I dive into our subject matter, I need to tell you, though, the fine print, the fine print. And you know what the fine print is, Claudia. The fine print is, you know, when you get married, you have to fill out that license, right? That's the fine print when you're getting married tells you what your responsibilities and obligations are, right, in marriage. And then you stand up there before the minister, and the minister or priest tells you the fine print again, right? he says you you can't date anybody else now. So in any negotiation or agreement um, that you make, uh, the fine print can make or break you. So I I want your full attention as I explain from what spiritual perspective this information comes from. What I mean is, am I going to be explaining these metaphysical concepts from a certain religious perspective? Because I'm sure that you're aware that different religious groups have diverse opinions and beliefs about the afterlife, right? If you talk with a Hindu priest, he's going to explain that that after death, there are a pantheon of gods, and you're going to go to different planets and visit different gods. This is what they believe. But if you ask a Muslim cleric, they will explain that Muhammad the prophet will be in heaven that you'll go to, to, paradise. But if you talk with a Jewish rabbi, he will explain the Abrahamic concept of God minus Jesus. But then if you talk to a Catholic or a Christian or a Protestant, They will tell you about Christ the Savior, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Catholic will add on to that, the Catholic saints. So who is right? If there's one heaven, who has the right answer? And here is where the Archangel Metatron breaks through the confusion to bring clarity. And instead of siding with one religion, in this book, he really speaks about it in generalizations, And his generalizations are very broad and inclusive so that all of the major religions can read this book and agree that on the topic of death and heaven, their theology really resembles Metatron's explanations. So the fine print that I talked about is that these messages were written for an audience who is Western. A Western audience. Why? Because I'm a Western person. And he was speaking to me. And so they're Western in nature and they're also extremely simple to understand, no matter what religious background you have. Even if you have no religious background, you can still read this and understand it. Now, having said that, religious pundits will not read this book and 100% agree with what is being said. But generally, on the whole, the concepts presented will sound familiar, okay? If religions can't agree among themselves, meaning that there are different sects in every religion who have doctrinal differences, then why would I expect them to agree with this book? I don't. So it's never going to happen. So my advice to you is to today take the meat and leave the bones. Have you heard that saying? Take the meat leave the bones. Take away what's helpful to you and leave the rest to divinity to sort out. Okay. So the messages in the book are titled Nothing to Fear. It's from message 17. And message 18 is called Your Life Plan and Karma. And right off the bat, Metatron begins Chapter 17 with a discussion about death. About death. And he says, when somebody dies, you grieve. But the truth is, you're not grieving for them. And this is what Claudia was saying in the introduction. You're grieving for yourself. You're grieving for your loss, aren't you? He says, you can't be grieving the dead because they're not dead. The end. A finite mind can only comprehend a beginning and an end, birth and death. It cannot comprehend eternity. It can comprehend a body, but it cannot comprehend the soul, which will live forever. And he goes on to say, quote, so really, you don't understand who you are until you get to the other side. Now, this is a remarkable statement. I want you to think about it. He says, let me say it again. You don't understand who you are until you get to the other side. I think I know who I am, right, Claudia? I know the shell of me. I know my height, my weight, my eye color. Uh, I know my family, my ancestry, where I come from. I have formed beliefs and preferences along the way in my life, as well as aversions those things that I don't like. I know my nationality and I know my personality. And all these factors taken together, I call me. So I've developed a concept over time, an image in my mind of who I am. But Metatron throws that out the window. And he says, you think you know who you are, but you are mistaken. That's only your concept, your ideas. He's saying, it's only what your mind made up about you. And he says, at death, just like a deep-sea diver must come up for air, they can't stay underwater indefinitely because their oxygen will run out at some point. He says, quote, so at death, you will breathe, or excuse me, you will break through into the next realm and breathe freely again. And the purpose of living, to realize that none of it is real. So he's telling us, that the person we understand ourselves to be is not correct. Not only that, but that, quote, everything you see, hear, feel, speak, touch, and taste is unreality. So let's, <clears throat> let's pump the brakes here for just a minute and reflect on this statement. Because if what he is telling us is true, if we don't know our true selves, if we don't know our true selves, um, then that's an incredible statement. And, and I just want to stop and ask, Claudia, as you're listening to this, is this something that you've ever heard before? What are you saying about that we don't know who we really are? Is this is this something you've ever heard about before or reflected on before?
1: Yeah, I have in – in... Maybe in different words, but i i have i i have come to a point where thinking about myself and what life is, what you do and what you don't, what you believe, and what you don't believe <laughs> I have come to a point where nothing makes sense like it's like and there's mm-hmm. many of of my questions are unanswered because there really there is no answer that can really open to those realms that is the unknown is like I just don't know and I cannot explain you and I cannot uh, there are no nowhere that I can look for for those answers because no one knows.
2: Great and uh, you said something really I think important there is that not only do you have answers or do you have questions that there's no, doesn't seem to be any answers for? But you said something else about, rewind to what you said. You made a statement in there that I thought was really good. Um, ah, I can't remember now what you said, but, but it yes, true. That it doesn't like, make oh, sense,
1: right? That doesn't make sense.
2: Yes, that's what you said. Yeah, I, it just hit me again. Yeah, that nothing makes sense in this world. And it's so true, Claudia. That's such a true statement. So if if things don't make sense, if we can't get our questions answered in this world, I mean, then what's the point, right? If we're just actors on a stage and this play isn't the real thing, then what's the point? And here's his answer. He says, quote, you are gods and goddesses in disguise in a very elaborately designed scene called Earth. And there are many more sets and scenes in other dimensions telling us not only is this a play of God's imagining, of God's imagination, but you are acting in that play. And after death, there are countless other dimensions to take part in, other plays, other scenes. And the point of it all, he says, the point is to remember or reclaim your divinity, to reclaim your divinity. Now, that's a big statement. And, you know, I was thinking about the avatars from the different religions, and if any avatar has ever really explained this, and the first thing that came to mind as I was thinking of it this morning was something Jesus said. You know, Jesus told parables to explain, and it kept popping in my mind. And he told a story known as the parable of the prod of the son. Have you ever heard that story, Claudia? Or heard about it? Oh, yeah. Okay. So one of the most well-known biblical parables. But let me tell it in case our listeners don't know it. So if I'm not wrong, I think this is in Luke. And he is telling this story to uh, Jesus's. Jesus is telling the story to a group of religious leaders, okay? And what the religious leaders are objecting to, they're objecting to him consorting with sinners. They're saying, you call yourself a divine teacher, yet you are allowing prostitutes and tax collectors, which back then was terrible because they, they stole money, and tax collectors and all the riffraff of society to stay with you, calling them disciples. This is what they're telling him. He says, uh, they say, you ought to do what we do. If you want to be a bigwig, you know, a, a Jewish bigwig, be above the sinners. Don't lower yourself. That's what they're telling him. And Jesus tells them the story of a son of a rich landowner who leaves home and goes to the city. and he spends all of his money, his inheritance, until he's destitute, and he becomes homeless, and he finds himself so low that he's actually eating out of a pig's trough because he's starving. And while he's eating the pig flock, he wakes up, and he realizes, what am I doing? Why am I homeless and hungry when I've got a rich father Who will help me? And he realizes that he's tried it on his own and life is a lot more, I guess, tough than he bargained for. So he goes home, this wayward son. And it's a very touching ending because the father sees the son, it says, coming, you know, in the distance from far. And Christ said, the father runs to meet him, runs to welcome him. And this is a son who basically demanded his inheritance and left home and said, I'm never coming back. But the father sees him from a distance and runs to welcome him, and he dresses him with the finest clothes, and he gets his servants to prepare a feast for his hungry son. And certainly this parable was told to the religious leaders to teach them compassion and to teach them about non-judgment but most, if not all, of Christ's teachings had more than one meaning. I mean, there was the obvious meaning for those, but for those who can look deeper, there's a hidden meaning here in his story. So when we look deeper at this story, we can see that it is also a description of birth, death, and the afterlife. Now let me explain this. At birth... We leave the palace of the rich father, meaning heaven. And we take everything we have, the riches we have, and the riches we have is what? It's the soul. It's the soul. It's it's us, it's the soul. And we come to Earth, the big city, and find our fortunes, just like the Wayward Sun. And because this planet can grind us down, right? Nothing makes sense. Our, our questions aren't being answered. We can find ourselves out of answers, lacking in knowledge, ignorant about who we really are and what we're supposed to be doing here. Ignorance is the pig slot. And when we get set up with a spiritual ignorance, we will be drawn back to our Father and His riches. We're drawn to seek spiritual answers. Instead of trying to meet our needs through worldly methods, through consumerism and relationships, those are the worldly methods, and we will go home again. And what will our father do? How will he receive us? He ran to help and welcome his child. So it's very touching. And so you can see Christ taught that the point of it all is remembering who you are. That you are the son or daughter of the greatest king. And the point is to remember who you are and where you came from. Are you just a lost, miserable, and broke human? Or are you so much more? This is what Metatron means. When he says, only when you return to the other side will you see yourself as you really are. You will see yourself as God sees you. So Claudia, I wonder if you have any thoughts that you'd like to share here.
1: Well, yeah, you know, it, it's funny because when you hear those, uh, I hear you, and this is not something new. And when you are in body, even though it sounds very. Logical and beautiful, and and yeah, God is gonna uh, embrace us back whenever we go back. And when you're in body, there's always the doubting mind saying,
2: mm-hmm.
1: "Really? Is it really? It is? It like your evidence with your eyes is that whoever you have has gone to the other side? It was poof, and they disappeared." And you don't have the proof of all that has been said, and then doubt creeps you creeps in you, right? Yes,
2: yes. It's like um, what is being said spiritually to us from a spiritual perspective doesn't make sense to a logical mind that's looking at the quote-unquote proof that we're seeing, right? Uh, um, yeah, like it doesn't line up. Yeah, absolutely. And so, Meditron goes on to describe death as, he says it's like leaving a costume party. He says, uh, quote, remember, the dead have not left the party. They've only stepped out of their costumes. You are the ones who are left at the party, right? And that's where we're at. That's exactly what you're saying. We're left here. We're left behind. And we've got all these temporary masks. And when the masks have served their purpose, Then we'll leave them behind, which is the body. And we'll wake up one day as we die as if we're being born, as if it was our birthday, our birthday, not our death day. And on that lucky day that we will see that the sadness and grief and loss and fear that we experienced on earth all served a purpose. And what is that purpose? The purpose is our soul's evolution, Claudia. Our transformation, our spiritual transformation, our moral transformation. I saw a bumper sticker one time that sums up the purpose of life in two words, two words. Here's what it said. On the back of a bumper sticker, (laughs) it said, evolve, damn it. (laughs) That's it. That's life in two words. We're (laughs) here to evolve. And Metatron doesn't use those exact words. But he does say this, quote, changing yourself is the greatest achievement. It is more important than changing others. And he says the pinnacle of evolution, the best that you can do, the highest state you can reach. The pinnacle of evolution is the willingness to change yourself. To see your own faults, mistakes, shortcomings, and errors and to change them. He doesn't say it's to give to others. He says it's to change yourself. You want to know the purpose of all our trials and tribulations? He just told you. But we, and I'm including myself in this, we humans don't like looking at our faults. We don't want to contemplate our past mistakes. So we make excuses. We justify. We blame. Oh, boy, do we blame. Because looking at ourselves is painful, and it requires that we change. And most humans don't do change very well. We do better with sameness. I I was thinking about this. I was a psychotherapist for 17 years, and it would always surprise me when my clients would rather stay in an abusive situation than create a new life, boggles my mind. But But I did the same thing. I stayed in a dysfunctional relationship for a decade rather than leave and turn my life upside down. Change is scary because we don't know what's on the other side. It's like I'd rather stay here even though it's unhealthy because at least it's predictable. At least I know what to expect. So we stay locked in these unhealthy, dysfunctional, even abusive jobs or relationships rather than risk the unknown. And what Metatron is trying to show us is that to change ourselves is the greatest thing in a marriage. That's, that's not the pinnacle. The pinnacle of life is not to build a dynasty or to have millions of dollars in our bank account or even to raise a family or even to help the less fortunate. Menatron seems to be saying that these things are all easier than personal change. So, Claudia, what's your opinion? Why is changing ourselves so hard? Any thoughts? You,
1: I think we just said it. There, there are so many distractors that are very uh, appealing, like everything outside is it seems to be better than anything inside. And I, and I think also you said it. It's sometimes when you look back in, we don't like what we see. because, and, and probably many times is because we compare what we have inside with something that is a mirage, something that is unrealistic or unreal or and, and we, y- you were talking about uh, that we have a lot of judgment, but judgment, self-judgment, is is really uh, pivotal for everyone.
2: Yeah, you know what I hear you say. And correct me if I'm wrong, but i I think I'm hearing you say that, that part of why it's difficult to focus on our, get focused on ourselves instead of other people, is uh, personal change. It, it, because it's it's really painful to to look at what's really there, um, and and so I, it is easier I think to look outward than it is to look inward. A lot of times, Metzger yes. puts it like this. He, he's very um, he's very comforting, and I find this book to be very comforting. He says it like this: "Quote, leaving the safe and the guarantee that which uh, feels secure is anxiety." Yeah, which feels so secure is anxiety producing for the mind. You must be willing, though, to let go of the shore and set sail on an unknown voyage to find inner peace. You must mostly forget who you are. And you, no, he says, you'll mostly forget who you are by coming to Earth, uh, what you're doing here, where you came from, and where you're going. And he's saying you're basically wandering, well, basically wandering around lost most of the time. Now that we know that we are hopelessly lost and that we do not know who we really are, it's time for some good news here. Yes, there is good news ahead. Um, In the next message, message 18, Metatron gives us hope by reminding us of our divine origins. And he says, quote, don't you see you are a divine being, part human but part divine, part flesh but part spirit you are a hybrid, if ever there was one. And he says because we have divine origins, because we are spiritual royalty, that we will feel that we don't belong here. Isn't that interesting? We'll feel that we don't fit in. Because our soul is remembering its origins. And I know there have been so many times when I felt like, did I get off the bus at the wrong stop? I mean, is this the right planet? Am I supposed to be here? And we will also long for more, he says. It's, you know, the runaway son, eating the pig flop, realized that he didn't deserve to suffer. He knew that he was the rich son of a, uh, he was the son of a rich man. But he kind of had to experience a discontentment. With the world. And this is how he explains it. Quote, once your soul left the upper realms of consciousness, it entered a body of great density that slowed you down. So, in other words, our vibration, vibrational rate was much higher in heaven than it was here. Then you were born into a world that is trillions of light years from its source. Trillions. A dark, cold, lonely world by comparison. And all this has been so disorienting, confusing, and frightening that you would at times like to curl into a ball and stay sequestered where the world's darkness cannot touch you. It's all very understandable, this wanting to hide. Wow. So it sounds like he really does understand how it feels to be human. Because the Archangel Metatron was human, that's true. let me explain that. He was known as Enoch, and he was the great grandfather of Noah in the Bible. This is who Metatron is. the Bible says the Bible says this that he lived a very long life, I mean it was like seven hundred and something years and before Enoch could die, he was taken to heaven, perhaps in a spaceship. We don't know that, but we know when he got to the heavenly realms that he was given the title of archangel and the name of Metatron. So he actually was on earth as a human for a long time. So message 18 is really a breath of fresh air because he speaks to us so compassionately. And in this message, he goes on to explain karma, which is a big subject. That could be a whole show in itself, Claudia, so we're going to skip forward past that, um, and I'll read to you his admonition to us to keep on keeping on. When you return home, you will be astonished at how close you came in a single lifetime to accomplishing their life's mission, or you may be one of the fortunate to accomplish their life's mission during this incarnation and don't need to repeat it. Wouldn't it be glorious to graduate and not have to repeat this difficult class? Yes, wouldn't it be? So he says for those souls who don't have to reincarnate again, quote, heaven throws a party in your honor. And believe me, when I tell you, this is him speaking, on that day, you will be heaven's hero. But for now, like a plane on autopilot, your course is set. You might as well enjoy the ride. So Claudia, are you enjoying the ride? (laughs) Oh my God,
1: I I think <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to say that most of the time I do, and yeah. but of course there are some instances in, in where you just are like, oh my, this can be like this. Things should be easier, yeah. but yeah, most most of it I I do like life. <laughs> but yeah, that's a that's a loaded question, Nina. <laughs> it is, it is. You know, I would
2: say if somebody asked me that, I would say depending on the day. <laughs> Sometimes I do, and I'm, uh, you know, I've got the wind blowing through my hair and a smile and a bug in my teeth, and other days I'm just, you know, I'm just miserable. So it just really depends on on the day. So at the beginning of this broadcast, I told you that there would not be any specific religious viewpoint on the afterlife that I'd present But that's because our understanding of the afterlife is informed by religious doctrine. And there are many different religious um, doctrines, right, that will give you their version. Um, You know, the Christian, Catholic, uh, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, Jewish, those are the main religions. But one other perspective about the afterlife that I believe we need to really hear. Um, Claudia, can you venture a guess? as to what perspective that might be?
1: I would think the scientific. Ming <laughs> <laughs> ming That's right. That's right.
2: Good guess. Uh, the viewpoint I'd like to present is on the subjects um, of the afterlife is not any religious perspective, uh, because they all base their, their doctrines and faith, offers its own perspective on what happens after we die. And I'd like to include those facts today. Then you can decide what to believe, um, what could be seen or what is not seen. So what's the latest science on death after life? And the traditional answer from scientists, if you ask most scientists, is that life after death is impossible. That's what they're going to tell you. Why? Because we cannot prove it. We cannot use the scientific method that calls for proof positive and if we cannot prove it then it doesn't exist okay but i say to you that is an impossibly limited way to think about the universe because in 1899 mr charles Duell was the commissioner of the u.s patent office now the patent office authorizes inventions, right? And in 1899, the head of the government's patent office officially declared this, quote, everything that can be invented has been invented, unquote. Hmm. So we'll see about that, Mr. Duell, because in 1879, 20 years before this astonishing declaration, Thomas Edison was inventing the light bulb and the commissioner was so blown away by that technology, the light bulb. Something we consider ridiculously simple today. That his conclusion was that's it, mankind has reached the pinnacle of technology. And While I'm poking fun at the short-sighted commissioner. In 1899, I'm sure that everyone would have agreed with him because for that time, the light bulb, it must have seemed like magic. I mean, this story from history reminds us that because we cannot see it, because we cannot imagine it, does not mean it cannot happen. Even the best scientists have been proven wrong in the march of time as new technologies are developed. What is science's latest opinion of life after death? And of all the sciences, we look to the newest branch of science, the most progressive. And what do you think that is, Claudia? Take another guess. What branch of science is the newest
1: and most progressive, do you think? Oh, I would say, I don't know if there's the quantum physics. That's right. Very right, Yay.
2: That's right. <laughs> I need to be giving out prizes here. Um, but first, that's right, quantum physics. But first, let's see what researchers of near-death experiences have to say. Okay, and then we'll jump back to quantum physics. And near-death experiences are experiences that have been reported when the heart has stopped and the person is clinically dead. There was a research study in 2014 of 2,060 cardiac arrest survivors, so 2,060 people in hospitals clinically dead, their heart's dead for more than four minutes. Of these, 46% of experiences reported memories after being technically dead. They reported a variety of experiences, which included seeing a bright light. These are common things, seeing a bright light, feeling that they're outside of one's body, viewing the doctors and nurses or people at the scene of the accident remotely, and meaning as if they were watching from above. And they reported passing through a tunnel and going to a beautiful place, seeing relatives, welcoming them, and having a life review. So these are all commonly reported near-death experiences or NDEs, okay? 46% of those 2,060 cardiac arrest survivors had this experience. Now let's look at another study. This is going to blow you away, it did me. Another study by German psychologists and medical doctors, physicians in Berlin at a research university, Germany, also claims to have proven that thoughts, cognition, thoughts, goes on after death. Now, this is a research university who conducted a study um, that psychologists and medical doctors performed, okay? They induced a near-death experience, medically supervised, that allowed the patients to be clinically dead 20 minutes or longer before they were resuscitated. This is a true story, Claudia, (laughs) this just really happened. These findings were reported in 2020 and this controversial experiment was reported um, on 944 volunteers over a period of four years. Nearly a thousand people. Okay, The most commonly reported memories included feelings of detachment from the body, feelings of levitating or rising above the body, total serenity, security, warmth, and again, detachment of the body. So this is an incredible study that was done. Um, there's other evidence here that I like to present, medical evidence, okay? So those are two studies right there that, to me, say a lot, okay, Be- not only because they were conducted by large, uh, a large survey, so a lot of people in the study, but also they were conducted by medical doctors and uh, psychologists. Here's something else to consider. Another type of evidence that shows something special happens at the time of death that involves a change in weight. So how much a person weighs? So in a series of medical experiments, people who were very close to dying were placed on a bed that had scales that could measure their weight uh, to very small increment. And as the moment of death occurred, normally what happens is that a body doesn't begin to lose weight until after death uh, when it will begin to evaporate. Okay, the fluids, gradually. Uh, But in this study, when the heart stopped, five different physicians agreed and, you know, wrote down their John Hancock and and testified that after taking measurements, once the heart had stopped, there was a sudden, not gradual, but sudden loss of weight. That was about a half of an ounce to one ounce. And the loss couldn't be explained by any physical force. So there was no explanation for it and when i read that i thought wow could it be that this sudden loss in weight is the soul leaving the body it's such a small amount of weight but it happens in every case could not be accounted for and i thought that was a very interesting study um, <clears throat> you know doctors will explain near-death experiences and Hospice patients who see their relatives or angels near or at the time of death um, have hallucinations of the dying. That's what they'll tell you. But hospice doctors and especially hospice nurses who are in the room at the time of death report that these people become cognitively alert and aware just before they cross over. Even dementia patients who frequently will frequently seem to wake up and come back just prior to death. And nothing can explain it. In other words, this person had such bad dementia that they didn't know where they were for a long period of time. And suddenly it's like they wake up and they're their old selves again. And hospice doctors will tell you that hallucinatory patients are patients who are seeing things other than what the dying see, which are uniformly, You know, people who are dying are seeing things that are on the other side, like relatives that have passed on, and angels they see a lot. So hospice workers report uh, that their patients are having visions at the time of death, not hallucinating, that these are two different things that are happening. And lastly, I'll just present this one more piece of evidence for our consideration, there's another story that's mine right now here about a hospice physician who is very famous because she wrote an enormously popular book on hospice care called On Death and Dying. And you might not know her name, Claudia, but her name is Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. I don't know if you've heard that name. She's the doctor who brought hospice care to the United States. She's a German doctor. And she tells about an encounter in one of her books that I read where that she had with a patient who had already died. Okay, so this is a highly respected doctor who concluded that the visions of the dying were not hallucinatory, but real. And this is the conclusion medically that she came to. But she talks about a day where she had been lecturing, okay, on death and dying at the University of Chicago. And it had not been going well for some reason. And she was feeling really down in the dumps and feeling like, probably feeling like maybe these Americans are not going to get what I'm saying. And she was walking down the hallway feeling like perhaps the Ameri- you know medical establishment was not going to embrace this concept of life after death that she was trying to bring. And she was in the hallway and a woman stopped Dr. Ross and asked if, she said, Dr. Ross, is there place we could talk for just a moment? I need to say something to you. And she was a little bit taken back, but said, uh, well, sure, I guess. And so she found an office um, that wasn't being used. And Dr. Ross took her into the office, and the woman says to her, Dr. Ross, no matter what happens, you need to continue your work because it's important. Many people's lives are going to be changed if you discontinue your work. You must continue this work. And as this woman was talking, she realizes that it was one of her hospice patients who had died. And she was so taken back that she didn't, it was like she couldn't find any words, because she realizes she's talking to a hospice patient who had died. And she asked the woman if she would please write down her name and sign her autograph, and the woman did. Sure, she wrote it down, and then they left the office, and as Dr. Ross walked the office and turned around in the hallway, stepped into the hallway, she was gone. Now, this story is going to sound made up, except that why would a doctor who is trying to establish herself in the United States and introduce a program of palliative care, say such a thing, unless it was true, unless it had really happened, because this is a highly trained, exceptionally scholarly physician who is not going to risk her career, right, not going to risk her chance at a career by making up stories. So there are literally thousands of near-death experiences, stories like this like I've just told you, about what happens when we die, what happens when we go to the other side, and even stories about the dead coming back and making contact. And I have a story of my own about that. So, Claudia, do you believe in life after death? And if so, why?
1: Um, I do. I um... do. Well, in my mind, my logical mind, it makes sense that there's something else. Otherwise, it would be one of the nonsense, the major nonsense of of life. If there wasn't, but I have right. not had an any experience, or I in in this um, doing what I do in, with Seaview. I have been in contact with many people like you, Nina, and others that have had near-death experiences, and I just cannot not hear you and believe it's true because all of you are doing this work of helping others, and, and you don't have anything to gain, on the contrary.
2: Right, (laughs) right. like Dr. Ross. I mean, here she is, you know, trying to establish herself and her practice and her methods of palliative care here in the United States. Why on earth would she, you know, risk her career? Mm -hmm. It it doesn't make sense, right? So it is interesting to note, though, that I want to throw this in there, that many of the patients um, that we talked about, remember in the study that we talked about of 950 patients who – who uh, died and then were dead for twenty minutes or longer yeah. and then they were I would not do that by the way. I by the way I would not participate. <laughs>
1: yeah, no way. But you know, I
2: wonder I wonder if those patients were terminally ill or something like that. I mean I would think they would they most of them would have to be. But but one I want to say about that and I forgot to tell you, it's interesting to note that many of the patients were atheists. They had no religious beliefs at all. The head physician of this German study said this, quote, I know our results could disturb the beliefs of many people, Dr. Ackerman said, but in a way we have just answered one of the greatest questions in the history of mankind. Yes, there is life after death and it looks like this applies to everyone. So they can say it applies to everyone because Christians, Hindus, Jews, Muslims, and atheists were patients. Isn't that interesting? So it doesn't seem to be that an atheist goes one direction and a, and a Christian goes another. It doesn't work like that. They all of them had the similar experiences of going towards the light, of feeling peace, overwhelming peace, you know, a life review. So it's interesting because even the atheists came back and told the story, the same story.
1: So, any other comments or questions, Claudia? Well, you know, I like the, these um, messages from Metatron. I like that he dwells into that and. I don't know you, but it's like once you read this chapter, you want to know more. It's like okay, it's it's like they are. He's giving us a little taste of something, mm-hmm. but but it's like the idea of okay, so give me more. Let me know all the details. What can what what am I missing? So that's the that's what I feel with this. Yeah.
2: And and you're absolutely right. That is exactly what he's doing. Most of this book feels like a teaser. I mean, he says a lot of wordy things in this book, but he doesn't go in depth. He just, he skips over a lot of different subjects. He covers a lot of different subjects in the book. Um, And so he really doesn't go in depth about very many of them. And this is one that he just um, touches on. But I would suggest if you're interested in this um, subject, uh, finding out what goes on at death with our brains and with our spirits. Um, and then what, what we see and what we experience is look into near death experiences. Go on Google and just Google it. There are hundreds of books on near death experiences. I've read about, I don't know, maybe six or about six books, I think, on it. One was, I remember, that I really liked was by Dr. Moody. And I forget what his book is named, but his was really good. He's a actually a physician, a well-respected physician. And he writes on near-death experiences of his patients. Um, there was one lady who is also a physician. I'm trying, I used to have her, I bought her book. And she's talking in her book specifically about what she calls less than positive near-death experiences. So these are near-death experiences that people had that when they come back to tell about them, they were less than positive, and these are people who did not live exemplary lives, okay, and they they had a lot of regrets at their death, and when they came back, they had a story to tell about going and experiencing the suffering, okay, and the wrongs that they caused during lifetime, and 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 some of it was scary for them, uh, very scary. Some of it was um, they felt grieved and so sorry about what they'd done because they were shown how it impacted people. So there's, there's actually a book, uh, oh, Barbara, I think it's her first name, she's a doctor, but look up, I have to just Google less than uh, positive near experiences, and you'll get to read those. Those are very interesting. The one common factor among those stories, um, she didn't call them, she didn't say they, uh, these people didn't believe they went to help per se, but they believed they were sent to dimensions in which they got to see what suffering they had caused. Interesting. And so, and it, and it was hellish at times to watch. Um, so definitely that, those are interesting things, but the one common thread among them all was at a certain point, each of these people realized they had been going the wrong way in life. They had been doing things that weren't helpful for them, weren't healthy for them, and weren't helpful and healthy for other people. And they, turned, and they wanted to turn around and go the other direction. And it's interesting because each of them called out for help during that experience. Each one said, please, please help me. I am so sorry. I will turn over a new leaf. I will be a new person. And each time that they did that, they were rescued out of that situation, which is interesting. And usually they described an angel, something that looked like an angel rescuing them out of those situations. Sometimes they saw the figure of Jesus rescuing them. Some people actually saw they felt God rescuing them. But in all cases, they came back to say um, that it changed their life dramatically, like their lives were dramatically changed after that experience.
1: Have you heard about those, Claudia? Yeah, I have heard about those. And I did read Dr. Moody's book, Life After Life, and, and it's really reassuring. And, you know, because even, even if you are very wrong, there's always um, something or someone there to to rescue you. So... And I sure hope, Nina, that if I'm that wrong or if I can change, that my angels or my soul, whatever it is that rescue you, will rescue me as well. Absolutely. Yeah,
2: I, I don't believe the theology that says once stuck, always stuck, or, you know, once damned, always damned. I just don't believe that because I believe in a loving God. You know, And I know if, if someone called out to me for help and they really wanted to change, I, I would help them. And, and I know that God is much more loving than I. So I just have to believe that that's the truth. So, yes. So this has been an enlightening episode. Um, I, I hope that our listeners have enjoyed it and uh, that you'll join us uh, the next time. going to be Friday, July 21st at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time for our next podcast study group. And we'll be discussing practical spirituality, practical spirituality. How do I be a spiritual person and, and in this world and, and effect, have a good effect in my environment? So that's what we'll be talking about next time. If you'd like to learn more about the, the book we're studying, Messages from Metatron, please go to Amazon.com and search for Nina Bingham. Or you can visit my blog at NinaBingham.blogspot.com. So thank you to my wonderful co-host, Claudia Pareko, to my talented co-host. And, <laughs>
1: thank uh, you.
2: To the audience, yeah, thank you. And to my audience, remember that there is more to life
1: than what you can see.
2: <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank
1: you. Bye-bye, and everybody have a good weekend.